Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Tyrone here, and we've got a great episode for you from the archives with Rich Harvey. This episode was first aired back in 2017, and I hope you enjoy it. So we didn't have the ability to take control of the projects or do anything with it. We just handed over the money on the basis of a, a loan document, but we were unable to, you know, to get our equity back from the from the projects, and they all collapsed uh, when the developer went bankrupt. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Managing Director of PropertyBuyer.com.au, Rich Harvey. Follow his bumpy journey from owning 14 properties to only one property and then losing all his money to a dodgy developer. Learn how he bounced back and rebuilt his portfolio and his life so you can do the same. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. Having started his buyer's agency business in 2001, what does Harvey actually do in any given day? Well, it's no day is, is the same, Tyrone. Every day is different. I mean, when I started out, um, I was on the tools a lot more. I was out there researching uh, properties. I was, I was marketing my services to find new prospective buyers, um, looking at properties, evaluating properties, um, dismissing properties, developing agent databases, doing everything related to property and running a business. So uh, the days, there's never enough hours in the day, particularly as a business owner, as any other business owner would know. The goal of Harvey's day job as a buyer's agent is to provide the best help for his property investing clients. And uh, you soon learn to get very smart, uh, not take shortcuts, but to just get very efficient at what you do and how you deliver the service. So yeah, my goal is to, is to deliver you know, really top professional services to any home buyer or investor or aspiring developer that wants to get into the property market and help them to, uh, to do that uh, every day of the week. Harvey also contributes heavily to eradicating the kind of fraudulent behavior from the property industry that cost him so much in his own property investment journey. That's right, Steve. I'm the president of the Real Estate Buyers Agent Association, uh, REBA, R-E-B-A-A for short. Um, I've been the president for the last two years. Um, I also serve as the chairman of the Buyers Agents Chapter or the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales. So both of those roles are a voluntary thing. I don't get paid for that. And um, it's just my way of giving back to the industry to help improve standards and ethics and, and professional practice in the industry because 
we are, a, I guess, a fledgling or growing industry. And there's, you know, buyers agencies 10 years ago was not nearly as popular as it is today. And so there's certain regulations and standards that uh, are still growing as we speak. So I, I serve in that role to, to help uh, improve the practices with other businesses as well. This passion for justice reaches all of Harvey's clients who quickly learn the dangers of pressure tactics and outright lies that are employed by these dodgy dealers. It's also about transparency. I mean, my brother got stung by one of those two-tier marketing groups many, many years ago where they used to fly you up to the Gold Coast and you know, show you, do you want to take you on a little run around the place and then, and then tell you that there's only two properties left and unless you sign the contract by Sunday night, you're going to lose it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's really sad to get see people get swindled into buying you know, a major asset mm. on the basis of just a couple of hours and, um, and pressure tactics. So that was something that really motivated me to help improve the practice in the industry. Harvey isn't shy when it comes to getting what he wants, which is how he managed to rebuild his portfolio after his disastrous misstep. Uh, how do I describe myself as a property investor? Uh, a go-getter. Um, I'm someone that's uh, become very savvy with property. Um, I started out very aggressively trying to uh, buy as many properties as I could once I sort of got educated. I was a very cautious investor uh, when I started out. My, uh, my background is actually in economics and um, I started out that way and used to analyse things to the nth degree and, you know, made sure everything stacked up. So that kind of prevented me from investing in property. But once the penny dropped, I kind of got there and and uh, I went out and uh, tried to get as, as safely as many properties as I could. So I, I describe myself as a as always a, a learning investor. I still don't pretend to know it all. There's still a lot of, you know, there's so many angles to being a property investor. But, uh, you know, I'm a, you know, a cautious um, but proactive property investor today. Growing up in an affluent part of Sydney, Harvey was blessed with a great education. I grew up in Sydney uh, on the North Shore and uh, I went to high school at, uh, on the North Shore and um, yeah, um, that, that's, that's pretty much it. Just went to a public school for both primary and high school, went to East Linfield Public and Kalara High and uh, yeah. Harvey fell into investing himself, striving for his own education in the industry without any outside influences. No, my parents weren't really. My parents weren't investor, weren't investors at all. Um, my dad was a uh, originally a solicitor and then became a marriage counsellor in the second half of his life. Um, so my parents really didn't give me much of a grounding apart from saying, "Be frugal with your money and, and look to invest." Um, I started a gardening business when I was about 14, 15 years old, and that was my first ever business. And I built that up to around ten clients and. It was the first business I ever sold, so that got me through university. Um, but I always had an interest in property from an early age, just looking to to see that you know property was a great way you can leverage. It's a really safe investment. You know, I used to deliver pamphlets around and look at the houses and and you know see new houses going up and people doing renovations. I think, wow, wouldn't it be great to own a house one day? You know, when I was riding there on my ten-speed bicycle. And uh, <laughs> so, um, but I think I used to read a lot of books. Um, I used to go to a lot of seminars and, um, and that's the way that I got myself educated in property. Stemming from his own love of gardening, Harvey used his entrepreneurial skills to run his first successful business at only 14 years old. Oh, my dad, my dad was an avid gardener. He used to win prizes for having a wonderful garden, but I just love being outdoors. You know, I, as much as I, I sort of use my intellect, I love to use my hands as well. So I, I used to enjoy you know, mowing lawns and getting gardening you know, stuff sorted for, for people and uh, doing a great jobs. So uh, that's, that's how I did it. So. Beginning from a background in economics, Harvey never knew what he wanted to be as a young adult, but he was certain that he wanted to be the best in his field. 
No, I, I, I actually, uh, I studied economics at university. I did a Bachelor of Economics and then I went uh, and did a back and did a master's degree in economics. Um, I, it was kind of funny. When I was growing up, I didn't really know what I wanted to be. Everyone at school puts this pressure on you. You say, Rich, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's like, well, I don't know. I want to be a, a professional golfer or a great, a great boogie boarder or a great surfer. You know, you have these dreams as a kid being a professional, you know, sports star. Mm. Um, but my golfing handicap didn't really get down below 20, so that wasn't going to work. <laughs> So, um, so I, I did economics because I quite enjoyed, you know, studying finance and money and how it flows, and then studying investing. Um, but I, I finished uni, um, and then I went to work for the Minister for Transport um, for a period of time. I worked there for about uh, eighteen months as uh, what was called a parliamentary liaison officer. So during question time in state parliament, whenever the minister gets asked a question, there's always someone in the background who's done all the research, and that person was me. So I'd always be quickly handing the minister all sorts of briefing folders and that sort of thing. So it was a pretty amazing job to get not far out of university. Uh, it was the lowest rung in the minister's office, but it was still a great start. From that lucky start, Harvey went on to discover the thrills and spills of property investing. And then, and then I went back to uni full-time, did a master's degree, finished that. And then I uh, looked for a job for a while and I got one with the Forestry Commission as their economist. So I... Um, I always had an interest in, in trees and wood and forestry, so I used to uh, work there for a number of years. Then I switched over and I became interested in environmental economics. And um, one of the things I used to do was to um, crunch numbers on valuing the environmental costs and benefits. And I got a job with the EPA, the Environment Protection Authority, as their senior economist. And I did that for about five years. Um, so I worked on things like uh, water pollution controls, air pollution issues, um, the Clean Water Act and a whole bunch of other regulatory things. So my job was to analyse for government the costs and benefits of implementing new environmental regulations. But they were really good at evaluating the costs, but no one was very good at evaluating the benefits of environmental improvements. And um, so we helped to develop um, a whole range of techniques to do that. So I did that for a number of years. But while I was doing that, I kind of got a bit bored with just crunching numbers on a spreadsheet. And I started to, that's when I really started to ramp my property investing journey and I'd catch the train to work every day. I'd read a book a week. Uh, I'd go to at least one seminar every couple of weeks. And I'd talk to people and really wanted to ramp up my education because I figured I don't want to be stuck in the rat race for the rest of my life. I want to do something I really enjoy doing every day. And, and that's really how I got on the property investment track. So I started teaching people how to buy properties. Um, and when I was in government, I was one of the few people to pay zero tax because I was I'd managed to buy enough properties um, to actually reduce my taxable income to, to virtually zero. And so people would, you know, in the HR department go, Rich, how do you pay no tax? And I go, oh, it's easy. You just do it this way. So I thought there's a niche to start helping you know, people along their property investment journey. So exactly how does Harvey do the impossible? How can you replicate his amazing feat to reduce your tax down to zero? At the time, my income at the time wasn't that high, so it wasn't too hard. It depends how much tax you're paying. <laughs> it's all relative, but you know. But uh, at the time, it, it really involved buying about three properties, um, three to four properties at the time, and uh, yeah, you know, they were fairly new properties. Not all brand new, but some of them were fairly new. And so, once you crunch the numbers on that, it actually um, you fill in. It used to be called the two two one D, and now called the it's now called the tax withholding variation, section fifteen fifteen of the Tax Act. So you can, if you know what your tax deductions are going to be for the year, uh, you submit the form and instead of um, your employer taking the tax out every week, um, it actually goes into your wage because you know it'll be claimed back at the end of the year. So you actually get to claim your tax on a fortnightly basis, uh, which is a much better system for, for investors. 
Coming up after the break, we'll hear how Harvey first used his subdividing strategy to break into his property investment journey. And that was brilliant because we were able to then, by subdividing and building on the back of that house, that really released and created a lot of equity for us. To the heartbreaking error that almost cost him his portfolio and his marriage. We ended up losing all of that money. Um, And that was the worst possible thing because we'd taken years and years to develop that equity. And how he learned to rebuild after such a tragic loss. One of my best investments was buying a house that already had a granny flat attached and that was a brilliant strategy. For Harvey, since his first property in 1993, the best strategy is to always create more equity whether through a granny flat, renovation or subdivision. The more properties he can buy, the better. First start investment was the first home after we, my wife and I got married. We bought a property in Pennant Hills and that was our first home and I consider that still an investment even though it's a home um, because that's where a lot of people start making their, their equity that they can mm. use to then leverage from to invest into other things. So we bought a very large block of land which had an old classic you know, post-war 1950s, 1945 type home on it um, and we were able to subdivide off the back. And that was brilliant because we were able to then, by subdividing and building on the back of that house, that really released and created a lot of equity for us to invest into other properties. So that was a great way that we were able to to really add value to the existing block and leverage it to go forward. From selling his first property, Harvey was then free to build his empire incredibly quickly. No, we did sell that. That was our principal place of residence. So we obviously we, we, we traded that, sold it, moved into the back house, and then we've since we've since moved that into and moved into another home now as well. Okay, mm. so uh, you've sold those properties, and uh, mm. when you sold those properties, what happened next? So we uh, we didn't sell that one straight away. We just moved into the back, and then we basically still we were paying that that home loan uh, down for a number of years. And that's when I was working in government for that period of time and realising that I had to start getting on the property investment track. So we then started to to buy some investment properties. And um, uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's how we got onto it. A popular strategy for some investors is no strategy. Rather than a blanket goal for each property, Harvey individually analyses each purchase for the optimal way to gain wealth and equity from it. Yeah, look, I didn't really, to be honest, I didn't have a strategy when I first started. I wish I did and that's what I teach a lot of people today. It's very important to, to come up with a very clear mandate as to what you're going to do with your, your property and there's no one size fits all. You know, your strategy is going to depend on your age and stage, your risk profile and your financial capacity. So at that time, I just knew that I needed to get an investment property and um and sort of the mantra of the day was, you know, at the time was, you know, buy something in a, in a good area, close to amenities and very, very new because you can maximise depreciation. Mm. Um, and now that's not always the case. You know, buying brand new means you're actually paying a developer's margin. Uh, it may mean that you're paying a slightly inflated price. And my message to investors these days is probably 98% of or well, 95% of properties are better off to buy established properties than, than brand new. Mm. Um, particularly when you're heading into the peak of the market, but I'm getting off track a bit now. So. <laughs> but, <laughs> but look, uh, I jump into giving advice, Tyro. There you go. But, that's yeah, okay. I think that the first thing is is I didn't really have a strategy, but my strategy has definitely evolved over time yeah. uh, from buying a simple investment property to doing renos uh, to then doing small developments. With his eyes on the prize at all times, Harvey isn't phased when it comes to risky strategies to build his portfolio. 
Yeah, we did. So we started to buy a couple of prop. We bought a couple off the plan, and um, fortunately, we bought them at the right time as the market was rising. It was really, you know, you look at the property clock, and if you're going to ever do off the plan, which is not a, a highly recommended strategy, it is a much riskier strategy. The only time you can really possibly do it safely is when, you know, you're at sort of that eight or nine o'clock on the on the property clock as the market's rising, because. If you buy it at the peak of the market, you're going to have settlement risk or, or valuation risk, uh, which could be uh, quite an issue. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so we bought a couple of those and um, and that serviced us just really well. And then we started buying established properties after that. From those riskier ideas came the knowledge and experience to implement safer choices such as renovation. The, the renovations came a lot later uh, once we sort of you know, got more experienced in, in doing that and the developments were, well, I'll tell you a story in a moment, but uh, uh, we do, we sort of look toward doing developments a bit further down the track. You can never be free of risk in property investing. There are always dangers in the condition of the property, in the saleability of the suburb and in investing in the wrong development. Unfortunately, next we'll hear how Harvey was unwittingly taken by a dodgy developer that almost ruined his entire life. All right. I mean, yeah, not everybody gets it right. Not even the experts get it right. I guess for us, the worst moment was when we'd, we'd, we'd bought a bunch of, or a couple of properties and we had a bit of equity and we were introduced uh, through a financial planner, mind you, to a developer. And the developer was offering amazing returns, so we thought at the time, naively, of around 20%. So we thought, wow, wow that's amazing, and it's all secured against property. Um, and basically, we were a passive, going to become a passive developer you know, with this particular developer. Um, so he was offering these great returns, and um, I guess the biggest mistake to make that we made was not securing and not getting enough legal advice on the type of security we had over the loan that we made to the, to the developer. So the, the documentation we had was very weak and uh, we basically invested a large amounts of money with this developer and he had projects in very good areas. You know, they were in uh, Northbridge and Rose Bay and, and other, other areas that are really you know, strong markets. Mm. But this developer uh, grew way too quickly. He was um, incompetent in managing money. Um, and we thought, you know, we had the money invested there for a couple of years and we thought, oh, look at this, our money's multiplying on paper really, really well. But in actual fact, uh, we ended up losing all of that money. Um, and that was the worst possible thing because we'd taken years and years to develop that equity. The strain of this mistake was felt by Harvey, not just in his portfolio and his wealth, but over all aspects of his life. So that was a very, very heart-wrenching um, you know, time in our lives, really difficult for our marriage and, and other reasons. And so it was a, a really difficult time. We basically you know, lost about 70, 80% of our net worth by investing with this developer who we at the time believed in, uh, but ended up taking most of our money. So he misappropriated the funds and he got charged with fraud and a whole bunch of other stuff. So oh, wasn't someone we should ever have been associated with. And so that was a, a very salient lesson to learn and the pain still is very strong to this day. The positive side of this horrible story is the lesson that Harvey and you can learn from it. The lesson, Tyrone, just to sort of finish off, the lesson was there, make sure your security is is secure. And so we didn't have enough strings to pull the money back. We weren't a joint venture. We were a passive investor in that development. So we didn't have the ability to take control of the projects or do anything with it. We just handed over the money on a basis of a, a loan document. Um, but we were unable to, you know, to get our equity back from the from the projects, and they all collapsed uh, when the developer went bankrupt. So it was a very, very difficult lesson to learn. 
It is never all doom and gloom in property investing. Each depressing low is always accompanied by an elated high that makes everything else seem unimportant. Yeah, I guess the aha moment was um, when I was doing a number of courses, I bought some uh, software uh, called PIA, Property Investment Analysis. And um, because I used to play with spreadsheets all the time, it was a really great, great program. And uh, and I suddenly realized that you, you don't need a lot of money to invest in property. A lot of people think you need, you know, millions of dollars to invest in property. But once I worked out how the banks lend money and how leverage works and 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 all the tax depreciation benefits you get, um, to actually hold a property, you know, a decent property at the time was like five or fifteen or twenty dollars a week. I think that was the after-tax holding cost for a, for a good quality growth property. And I went, I said to my wife, "This is incredible. Look at this. You, this is you can control quite a large sum of property without a huge amount of cash. And as long as you're going to have a long-term horizon, you're not trading the property every year. Uh, then there's a way. So it was really when I went through that that program and actually looked at all of the numbers, how the how the cash flow works. That was my aha moment to realize, wow." Anyone can do this on a moderate income. You don't have to be earning you know, $400,000 a year to own a sizable property. I've seen people earning sixty dollars or $70,000 a year, you know, continually with financial diligence, buy some really good properties and they just manage their cash flow to, to afford those properties. So that was my aha uh, moment. But how can you achieve that with the current market? Question. Every, I get asked this question every day. You know, they say, well, Sydney's median house price is 1.1, the median unit price is 752000 So, how can I possibly afford to buy? And what about my kids? And look, at the end of the day, I'm amazed at the prices, but you've got to look at the real rate of return on money. You know, you've got to factor in inflation, right? Inflation is generally predicted to run at 2 to 3% a year. So, that erodes the real purchasing power of money. And when you look at you know, a 3% rate compounded uh, on a million dollars, it's it's quite easy to see how median prices do double every 10 years or so. So, you know, we can, Tyron, we could be having a conversation in, you know, 10 years' time in 2027, you know. Mm. Um, might sound like a foreign year, but <laughs> it's going to come around pretty fast, right? <laughs> yes. um, you know, so we could be having a conversation and, and I wonder what the median house price in Sydney will be in 2027 and the median unit price. I believe it will be significantly higher than it is today. So you've got to look at the drivers. When when I get, you know, people get scared about, oh, can I afford to buy? Can you afford not to buy is the question I come back with. So you get into the market. It doesn't mean you're going to have to go and buy, you know, a multi-million dollar property straight off. Just buy something to get you on the property ladder in a growth area, in a suburb that has the right fundamentals for growth and cash flow, and you'll do well. You know, don't just go and buy any property, but get good advice Buy something that's close to amenities, close to transport links, potentially areas that are being gentrified, and and you'll do well. So you know, and you don't. The other thing is, you don't have to buy in Sydney. You know, if you can't, if you literally can't afford to buy something for in Sydney, then you can buy something in in a, in a you know a large regional area. Um, there's plenty of great regional areas that will provide you know good cash flow. So don't just have to be you know Sydney or, or Brisbane or Melbourne centric. You can consider other areas. And consider the rent vesting strategy. So rent where you need to work and invest where you can afford to invest. Everyone's property investment journey goes through phases. There are times of renewal of patience and of quick action. Yeah, look, uh, I mean, we also go through, you go through phases where you're in either a growth phase, a consolidation phase or a fix-up phase. So, at the moment, I'm going through and looking at my portfolio and going, you know, there's some properties that haven't performed nearly as well as they should have. 
So I'm actually looking at um, removing those from my portfolio because if I leave them there, there's going to be what's called an opportunity cost. Um, and if I've got, you know, a $500,000 property that I expect to grow at, you know, 6 or 7% a year, but it's growing at 1% or 2%, then I'd rather get my money out of that property, the equity I have, and put it into a property that's going to grow and accumulate my wealth. So I'm going through a, a, a consolidation phase, and I'm also looking at, you know, keep continuing to invest in good quality properties and, and develop some properties for, for equity growth. Although unable to share his exact portfolio numbers, it is clear that Harvey's go-getter attitude has allowed him to quickly and easily rebuild his impressive portfolio of previous years. Uh, I, I won't share the exact amounts, sure. but I'm happy to share a couple of a couple of factors. Obviously, sure. there's, there's personal factors there. I know some people are, but uh, <laughs> but obviously, from a confidential point of view, I mean, look at, at I mean, before before I lost all the, all the money that I had to develop, I had 14 properties. Um, and I'd built those up very, very quickly. Some of them I'd bought off plan. It had to be yet to be settled, but um, we'd, we'd accumulated them quite quickly, um, which was great. But we ended up going back to one property, <laughs> and wow. then I've had to re- rebuild from there. So uh, I've really had two goes at building a portfolio. So not not a highly recommended method, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> one that builds character and resilience at any at any state. But um, like when I started out, we were just buying uh, you know well located apartments. Um, and then we progressed from there to, to buying houses. Um, one of my best investments was buying a house that already had a granny flat attached, and that was a brilliant strategy from a perspective of cash flow and growth. Um, a lot of people say, oh, but if you add a granny flat, don't you devalue the property? I totally reject that idea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you increase the value of the property. And if you look at anywhere in a metro area that's got a granny flat, they're highly sought after. Everybody wants a supplementary form of income. Um, even if you don't want the income and you just want to put noisy teenagers in there or a grandma <laughs> for what is literally called a granny flat, then you've got that opportunity too. So granny flats has been a, a really good investment for us and uh, and I always smile when I see the uh, uh, the property statement come in every month and uh, showing the positive cash flow that it's generating. The phases of property investment are always presenting new opportunities for those that are prepared to grab them and Harvey is ready and willing. So inspired by this story and what Rich Harvey is excited about today, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode on property investry where we talk about how to apply Harvey's strategy. But in terms of the, the specific properties, um, yeah, I, I went for originally uh, capital cities uh, because I wanted to buy in areas where there were jobs. The books Harvey recommends. I read a lot of books, as I said. Um, I'm a big reader. I'm a big, big fan of, um, you know, like you're doing, Tyrone, is, is talk to people that have been successful and get their tips. And that's next time on Property Investory Podcast. To get the full transcript and see the show notes, visit our website at propertyinvestory.com. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.